Hello, I'm Jim and welcome to the On The Left Side end of season fanual. The football season may have come to an end, but that's not going to stop us looking back on it with the same bleary-eyed disappointment that Wayne Rooney will look back on the last four years he spent at Manchester United. So let's hop into our footballing DeLorean, set the flux capacitor to August 2016 and take a left-sided view at all this season's footballing action. This year started off with a feeling of hope and expectation hovering over the city of Manchester. The Red Half had seen the greatest manager in the known world, Jose Mourinho, come to Old Trafford, whilst the Blue Half had welcomed the greatest manager in the known world, Pep Guardiola, to the Etihad, resulting in most fans fully expecting every single trophy ever in the history of the universe to end up in both trophy cabinets come May. Both were wrong. And the warning signs were there too, way back in August, when City decided to ship out their best goalkeeper and bring in one of the worst goalkeepers ever seen. Bravo. But it seems it was a message that Man City took literally as they sent Joe Hart swaggering towards an Etihad exit and in a touching gesture, handed him the captain's armband in a final farewell for their match against Stuart Bucharest. It was an emotional game, and City fans rose as one, forgetting about his chocolate wrists and dodgy shampoo commercials, to hail one of their own and heap praise upon his no longer dandruff-covered shoulders, as Stand Up If You Love Joe Hart rang around the Etihad Stadium. Not lost on him either, is it, Owen? That's lumping your throat stuff if you Joe Hart, I presume. And that lump was still firmly lodged in throats when Joe stepped out to chat to the media after the match. That was a really special night for me. We all know there's a situation going on, but you know, situations occur in football and you know, we're men and we get on with it. <laughs> it's a situation, you know. Is it a situation, Joe? Just so we're clear. Situation, yeah? What kind of situation? A situation situation? It's a situation. Good. But there was a certain irony in Hart's last game for City, showing the door for poor distribution, yet absolutely nailing the job on his final appearance. You had the ball at your feet a few times, pretty tidy today. I think you had 100% completion. <laughs> wow, pigs do fly, don't they? <laughs> yep, anything is possible. One day we might even see Brendan Rodgers giving a post-match interview without using the word character. We showed great character today, and to show the character that we've done, and we had to show big character today. Joe Hart may not have made many appearances in Manchester this season, but Wayne Rooney wasn't far behind him. The England captain has had a fairly anonymous season on the pitch at Old Trafford, and off the pitch, he was failing to impress as well. When England boss Sam Allardyce was sacked from his job for enjoying a pint of wine and a Chinese buffet with some nice foreign gentlemen, it was time for Rooney to step up to the plate and impress the new national boss come geography supply teacher, Gareth Southgate. Right? Wrong. The good news for Wayne Rooney this week is that no one is talking about his terrible form for club and country this season now. 
Seemingly every newspaper in the land went with a sensational headline-grabbing story this week about a 31-year-old man having a couple of beers on a day off, and the world went crazy. So, after the Scotland game, it appeared that Wayne Rooney was seen on a night out. Downing booze and gate-crashing a wedding. Along with photographic evidence. Personally, the highlight of the story for me was the revelation that hours before the photos were taken, interim England boss Gareth Southgate had told the striker to go to bed, like some kind of embarrassing dad. Oi. Which, in my mind, already makes him a better candidate for that job than Allardyce ever was. Big Sam refused to tell Rooney where to play on the pitch, whereas our Gaz is telling him what time to get tucked up with some bedtime stories. Speaking of Big Sam, some papers even went as far to compare the Rooney situation with that of Sam's sacking, with the Daily Mail asking, Allardyce was paid off for having a boozy lunch. Rooney seemed intent on a boozy breakfast. What's the difference? Firstly, I'm not entirely sure that the aspect of the football for sale story that upset the FA was the ex-England boss enjoying a Chinese buffet and a pint of wine. And secondly, unless Wayne happened to be brokering a very profitable deal to negotiate dodgy transfers with one of the other wedding guests, I say there was a fairly substantial difference. But whilst the world condemned Waza, everyone's favourite football manager stood up for the England man, with Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp saying... All the legends you still love and all the guys you still admire and all that stuff, they drank like devils and they smoked like crazy and they were still good players. Yeah, get a grip. It never did the legends any harm, did it? Bobby Moore, Jack Charlton, Georgie Beth. Well, it never did Jack and Bobby any harm anyway. Joe Hart gone. Rooney on the booze. The signs were there already. The cracks were starting to show and it was looking less and less likely as the season went on that a trophy would be ending up back in Manchester. The fans were getting angry and the managers were starting to show signs of stress too. It's getting to the pointy end of the season and the pressure is starting to show on the managers battling it out for those Champions League spots. Manchester United are currently outside those coveted positions and that wasn't helped by the club's midweek draw with Hull City, which left manager Jose Mourinho clearly unhappy. He claimed that the ref should have given more decisions in favour of his team and he was not in the mood to elaborate. What particularly did you feel that the referee should have pulled them up on that? Well, if you don't know football, you shouldn't be with the microphone in your hand. That's like going to a doctor's and getting in a strop when he asks you what the problem is. Ah, Mr. Salverson. Now, what seems to be the problem? Oh, I paid my taxes. You're the one getting paid as a professional with your years of experience. You tell me where it hurts. He hadn't even calmed down by the time he got to the press conference where he claimed he was being treated unfairly by, well, everyone after he was told to shut up, sit down or get sent to the stands. You know clearly that I am different. The rules for me are different. Yep, for anyone keeping count, that was Jose Mourinho's weekly pop clop, a little snide remark aimed at everyone's favourite affable German, Jürgen Klopp, who almost got himself in hot water after shouting in the fourth official's face after keeper Simon Mignolet saved a penalty to earn his team a midweek point against Chelsea. Klopp was, however, quick to apologise and even came out after the game to reveal what it was that he shouted. What was I said? Nobody can beat us. That's the kind of statement you need to be careful if you're shouting it in a German accent, isn't it? 
Firstly, if you're a long-time listener of On the Left Side, you will know about my theory that Jurgen Klopp is in fact an evil Bond villain. Well, shouting things like, No one can beat us! does not dispel that idea in any way. It's exactly the kind of thing that a Bond villain would shout in the middle of an epic battle, moments before his secret hollowed-out volcano base was blown into the sky. Secondly, well, it's not really true, is it? A more accurate statement would have been, No one can beat us! Apart from Wolves and Southampton and Swansea and Southampton again and Burnley. But I guess that wouldn't have quite the same impact, would it? But what about the other under-pressure manager? It's Pep Guardiola that I'm really worried about. The Spanish boss has the weight of performance on his shoulders like never before at Manchester City, and the cracks are starting to show. His team may have pulled off some spectacular wins recently, but the pressure is taking its toll. He was talking about his new superstar South American, Gabriel Jesus, and he was full of praise, I think. I mean, it was actually quite difficult to tell. It's like a watermelon. You have to open and see if it's good or not, so... Yeah, I get you. Just like a watermelon, yeah. You're like big and green and full of black pips. And if you fill it with vodka or rum, you've got a delicious summer... No, no, no. No, I don't get it. However, in principle, I think it kind of works. Comparing a footballer to a fruit, you can make some great comparisons. Dimitri Payet, he's like a banana. If you put him in a fruit bowl, it's in danger of making all the other fruit go bad. And Luis Suarez, he's like a lemon. Clearly very bitter, he's got a sharp bite, and he's much more at home in the Mediterranean. And what about Wayne Rooney? Well, he's a kiwi fruit. I'm sure it's got loads of great qualities, but you can't quite get over how weird it looks with all that hair on it. Despite some fans calling for the heads of both bosses at various points in the season, Pep and Jose remain in charge at their respective clubs. Jose has gone on holiday to have a nice little break, and Pep is currently taking the same approach to transfer policy that a contestant on Supermarket Sweep takes to price comparison. So we will wait to see what both teams offer next season. But other managers weren't so lucky. 59 Football League managers left their jobs this season. 10 of those were in the Premier League. One of which was Leicester's Claudio Ranieri, who ended up being dilly-ding-dilly-gone after a player revolt, apparently based around the removal of chicken burgers from the canteen menu. But some of those managers to lose their jobs were good old English managers too, who were replaced by those funny foreign types, which seemed to upset a certain ex-Arsenal midfielder who was also making a decent punt for his own trophy this season. Michael Owen has really let himself down this season. Last year, he was looking like he was head and shoulders above everyone else in the most ridiculous pundit awards, but now he's let it slip. Even his stupid claims last season are seemingly coming true this season. Leicester conceivably could go down next year. <laughs> oh, how we laugh. But it's not just his crazy predictions coming true that sees this award slipping from his grasp. It's also an old battle horse really stepping up his game. Mr. Paul Merson. Sure, for years he has been in the European spots of idiotic punditry. But this week he's taken it to title contention. It all started on Soccer Saturday when the former Arsenal man was asked to pick his favourites for FA Cup progression if someone was having a cheeky bet. And Paul came over all mystic Merson. The FA Cup, uh, give us three teams that you might have a couple of quid on. 
Everton, definitely. They lost at home to Leicester City. Stoke. They lost at home 2-0 to Wolves. And I'll go Bournemouth. And the Premier League team Bournemouth lost out 3-0 to League One Millwall in that one. Paul the Octopus could have done better and he's dead. Obviously, he needs to regain a bit of punditry credibility, and the best way to do that is with a well-aimed rant. So the Gerard Depardieu-like aimed both barrels at Hull City for having the gall to sack a good old British manager and replace them with one of them funny foreigners in Marco Silva. Why has it always got to be a foreign manager? I've got nothing against foreign managers, don't get me wrong. Oh no, this is like when one of your mates starts a sentence with Some of my best friends are black, isn't it? What's he know about about the Premier League? Hang on, is your impression of foreigners taken purely from Manuel in Faulty Towers? I know nothing! I'd also like to pull you up on this statement, Merce. Win the league with Olympiacos? I could win the league with Olympiacos. I'm sure you could. I mean, the evidence is all there, isn't it? After your brief spell as manager of Walsall, when you managed to take them from the lowly realms of the championship and drop them in the lofty position of League One relegation candidates, that's pretty much the same as winning the Greek League. But if not Silver, then which born and bred Englishman should be doing the job in Paul's opinion? Merson took to Talk Sport to tell us. There's enough British managers out there, come on. Why not Thierry Henry? Ripped up the Premier League, and he'll give them a lift. Oh, yeah, that bastion of Englishness that is Terry Henry. A man so English that he pretty much wears a beret, striped T-shirt and onions round his neck every time he appears on TV. Who knows, maybe he's right. With the right job, maybe Henry could line up alongside those other famous English managerial greats like Arsene Wenger, Jose Mourinho and Rafa Benitez. That'll really show those bloody foreigners who's boss. Don't ever change, Merce. Don't ever change. Luckily, Merson would have been delighted with Harry Redknapp's appointment at Birmingham City. The ex-Portsmouth, Jordan, West Ham, Spurs, Bournemouth and whoever else waves a greasy fiver under his nose manager performed the footballing miracle of taking over a Birmingham City team that were just outside the relegation zone and guiding them, expertly, to a position just outside the relegation zone. Well done, Harry. And on saving the Midlands team almost from relegation, Harry set his sights firmly on rebuilding for next season. And as always... With an Ari team, that means buying up anyone with a bit of experience who was once a top, top, top player. One of the other candidates for the Swansea job that we didn't mention earlier is our Ari Redknapp. The ex-Spurs, ex-West Ham, ex-Portsmouth manager may definitely not be a wheeler dealer, but he does certainly fancy a job as being a football manager in South Wales. It's a good club. It's the, it's the opportunity and the challenge came up. It, it, it would be one that would be interesting. As far as I can tell, Redknapp is still currently a director of Winborn Town, a football advisor to Derby County, a football consultant to the Central Coast Mariners in Australia, and the international manager of Jordan. I mean, how could we forget his wonderful post-match interview after getting that gig? Hello, hello, uh, welcome. About uh, Captain Abdullah Abuzimah. Ah, uh, yeah. But with all those managerial positions, consultancies and advisory roles, I assume that it all pretty much boils down to one key idea, which was perfectly demonstrated with his plans for Swansea City. If you could beg Chelsea to let you have John Terry straight away, I'd, I'd bet you to stay up. 
You see, Harry Redknapp thinks the world's problems can be solved by signing John Terry. In the summer, Redknapp told West Ham that signing John Terry would help their transition to a new stadium. A few weeks later, he suggested that Arsene Wenger should sign JT if he wanted to win the league. And just a fortnight ago, he told Pep Guardiola that he could resolve his defensive issues by, you guessed it, signing John Terry. I have no idea if John Terry even wants to leave Chelsea, or if Redknapp has a 45th job as John Terry's agent, but he certainly seems keen on Terry moving on elsewhere. I can only assume that is either because Terry is a top, 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 top footballer, a proper football man, or maybe, with all his different jobs around the world, Redknapp is leaving his wife at home quite a lot and he just wants to make sure that John Terry is busy elsewhere. Who knows if Terry and Redknapp will be united, but I somehow doubt it. Unless Terry can get it written into his contract that he's allowed to leave the pitch on the 26th minute of every game to a standing ovation. It's exactly the kind of transfer that could have lit up the January transfer window. Because what was once the EastEnders omnibus for football fans, a day of drinking tea and celebration, was just sadly lacking this year. Well... That was disappointing, wasn't it? No Sky Sports news reporters getting attacked outside a club training ground with a large purple sex toy. No disgruntled midfielders driving halfway across the country to complete a non-existent transfer. And no Harry Redknapp hanging out of a car window giving interviews about a potential signing of a Portuguese Division 3 diamond. What is deadline day coming to? There was a time where I'd book deadline day off work. I'd settle down for 24 hours of rolling TV news with nothing but a few mugs of tea, a large packet of hobnobs and an unrealistic level of expectation for company. But those days are long gone. In fact, I think I could probably capture the same excitement of transfer deadline day now by just heading down to my local pub, refusing to order a drink for the whole night and then panic buying a pint of Foster's just before they call time and paying 400 quid for it. The very fact that the majority of the transfer window was spent discussing where Robert Snodgrass may or may not be going says much more than I ever could. Eventually, it was West Ham who won that particular race, having freed up a few million quid with the eventual departing of half-footballer, half-whinging toddler Dimitri Payet. Despite originally saying they were never going to sell the player, the Hammers board realised that that tactic was very similar to buying a soft-top sports car when you live in England. It's a nice idea in a perfect world, but it's just going to lose you a load of money as it sits in the garage whilst it hammers it down outside with rain. And that is a particularly good analogy if the sports car in question is being an absolute tool and refusing to even start its engine when you put the key in the ignition, despite the fact you're spending a load of money on it. What a waste of space and resource. So, the player that was priced at £100 million just last summer was duly sold to Marseille for £25 million, which doesn't seem like a great deal. But maybe they were expecting the taxpayer to pay the rest. You know, like with the Olympic Stadium. Having gone back on their original word, club co-chairman and former fat mag peddlers David Golden Sullivan went on a media rampage to get their side of the story across. First, it was Gold. He went on BT Sport to share his particular feeling of disappointment. That he's let the fans down, he's let the football club down, he's let the manager down, and, and I'm hugely disappointed. That's exactly what politicians say when they're involved in some kind of sex scandal, isn't it? 
Maybe they should have got Payet standing on the doorstep of his French mansion to give a statement next to his disappointed and dowdy-looking wife as she holds back the tears and wonders how long it is before she can leave him without the press getting a sniff of it. Next, it was Sully's turn, who took to talk sport this time, to bemoan the current transfer window system and the stupid amount of money that is being thrown about in the window. Both the transfer fees and the wages have gone potty, and you think, well, how can... Very average players be worth 10 and 12 million pounds. What's that, mate? Very average players costing around 10 million quid. Snodgrass has chosen West Ham over Burnley. Both clubs had 10 million pound bids accepted. Well, this is a bit awkward, isn't it? Eventually, it turned out that Terry was going to leave Chelsea, whether he liked it or not. But not before he milked the applause in the Blues' last game of the season, distracting any attention away from his team's title-winning celebrations. I'm still amazed that the whole horrific ego show hasn't been properly investigated by the Premier League. A game of professional football was stopped on the 26th minute in the full knowledge of match officials, managers and both teams of players. And that's okay, is it? That said, I'm suggesting the Sunderland players kicked the ball out deliberately on the 26th minute. Given most of the evidence this season, if they had intended to hoof it into the stands, it probably would have hit the crossbar, looped up in the air and been stuck in a game of head tennis for around 30 minutes. But fair play Chelsea. With minimal help from Terry, they won the Premier League. It wasn't nearly as exciting as when Leicester City won the title last year. And let's face it, Chelsea definitely weren't the real winners of this season. That honour goes to Arsenal Fan TV. In the end, Arsenal were absolutely battered 5-1 in a second half frenzy as one-sided as Daniel Sturridge's health insurance claims. And the fallout was predictable. More calls for Wenger out. More jokes about Arsenal finishing fourth in the league and Paul Merson claiming that Harry Redknapp was more astute tactically than Arsene Wenger. And when you're making Merson look like he's talking sense, then you know you're in trouble. But at least by giving the opposition a four-goal advantage in the Champions League, Arsene Wenger has finally got Arsenal emulating Barcelona, eh? I'll be honest with you. I really want to watch Arsenal TV now, but at the same time, I'm just not sure I can take it. I mean, it's going to be beautiful after a result like that. It's just... It might be too good. Okay, come on. Let's just have a little peek. I said this was going to happen. I said we were going to capitulate. The same as we do every single fucking season, Robbie. And what changes? Nothing. Was Arsene Wenger still on a touchline ban? Where the fuck was he? He sits there, plays with a bit of string. Pisses about all the time. I've had enough. Please, please, Arsene. Just go. That was beautiful. He was so angry at some points on that, I thought he was going to break into a rap. Same old Arsenal. Well done. I've had enough. Please, please, Arsene. It's the same every single year. Just go. It's embarrassing. Just go. Embarrassing. And it's embarrassing. Just don't have a wank about it. Just go. I don't want to see that. I'm glad I didn't bring my fucking sons out here. It's embarrassing. I said this was going to happen. I said we were going to capitulate. Embarrassing. Just go. And now, Arsene Wenger has signed a new contract and we get to do it all over again next year. Even with the levels of inexplicable anger and swearing that made their interviews sound like the latest drum and bass hit, even Arsenal Fan TV wasn't the biggest story this season. 
One story eclipsed all of these. One moment of footballing madness garnered more column inches than anything else this year. But can you guess what it is? Was it the arrival of an £89 million player into the Premier League? Try again. Was it the gambling scandal up in Scotland? You bet it wasn't. No, no, not you, Joey. Was it Premier League newcomer Antonio Conte guiding his Chelsea team to league glory? Try again. I know. Something to do with FIFA and corruption. Yep, you guessed it. Hello? What? For me? Don't really need any more brown paper ever... Oh, I see. Um, right. Oh, yeah. Tell Gianni that I understand. No, the story that took up more column inches than anything else this year didn't involve any of those things. It did involve Arsenal. It did involve a man. It did involve a pie. And it all started with a potential giant killing in the FA Cup. Don't you just love the magic of the FA Cup? In truth, in recent years, the amount of magic projected by England's Premier Cup competition has been comparable to Paul Daniels' output, and he's dead. So it's no surprise that this week, when footballing minnows Sutton United lined up against Premier League big boys Arsenal, the footballing world went crazy, with every news outlet on the planet convincing us that the outcome of this particular match was more important than Brexit, the US elections and the global economic crisis all rolled into one. Which I suppose it was. I mean, it was being played on a 3G pitch. Give me a break. We were treated to the full media coverage experience with everything from tours of the away dressing room to interviews with local shopkeepers to countless images of diehard, lifelong Sutton fans who hadn't even heard of the club seven days ago. We even had a celebrity fan dug out for good measure in the shape of professional pun machine gun Tim Vine, who shared his excitement on Talk Sports. When were you first attracted by Sutton United? It was an interview not unlike this. I mean, I mentioned that I supported England. They said, well, what about a club? side and I said well I've been to Sutton a couple of times and mentioning that on air somewhere and immediately I became a Sutton fan by default. Die hard fan. Absolutely die hard. To be fair he did have the measure of the modern footballer though. I just had a look around this morning I had a look around the away dressing room there is one plug in there so when they come in and want to charge up their phones they're going to be queuing. (laughs) I mean talk about investment needed in grassroots football. One plug? I had no idea how bad things had got. Finally, the game got underway and Sutton gave a decent account of themselves when it could have been easy for them to be overawed by the game. Or, to use TalkSport's Sam Matterface's analogy... They haven't frozen, they haven't sat like rabbits in the uh, proverbial headlights or perhaps more pertinently here, a giraffe in the headlights. Ah, yes, that famous phrase, caught like a giraffe in the headlights. I like it. Jazzes up the old phrases a little bit. I'm going to use that along with my other favourite phrases like a rhino in the hand is worth two in a bush, people in glass houses shouldn't throw zebras and my old favourite, never eat yellow snow leopard. But if I was Theo Walcott, I'd be feeling a little bit disappointed right now. He scored his 100th goal for Arsenal in that game and somehow got overshadowed by the not inconsiderable shadow of a man eating a pie. The unlikely hero and then villain and then hero and then villain again of this pantomime was Sutton United's reserve goalkeeper come groundsman Wayne Shaw, who's been dubbed the roly-poly goalie because of his 23 stone frame. To be fair, he is the groundsman of a club with a 3G pitch, so... It's not surprising he's out of shape a bit. I mean, he's got bugger all to do. 
There was loads of focus on the keeper before the match. There were interviews with him in loads of newspapers. There was even the offer of a naked photo shoot from one national publication. The mind boggles. But his real moment in the spotlight came on the 83rd minute when TV cameras caught him tucking in to a mid-game snack. Wayne Shaw has decided that now is the time to get stuck into a pie. What would Arsene Wenger say? I think we know what Arsene Wenger would make of that, don't we? Honestly, during the game, I didn't see it. Here's the thing. It wasn't just Wayne tucking into a healthy and nutritious in-game snack to keep himself in his peak physical condition, because earlier that week, Sunbets, Sutton's sponsor for the game, had placed odds of 8-1 to one on exactly that thing happening. It was a bit dodgy, and suddenly the world went mental. At best, the incident was a cynical publicity stunt from the bastion of all that is good and worthy, the sun. It devalued a footballing institution and it took attention away from the sterling work of the non-leaguers Sutton. At worst, it's the kind of betting dodginess that Joey Barton would be proud of. And it ended up in the keeper, come groundsman, come puppet of Rupert Murdoch, resigning from his role at the club. Sad times. This is a man who really cared about his club. Forget the goalkeeping side, he slept at the ground three days a week to make sure he could do his job properly. And now, all that's been lost because of what I like to think was an error of judgement on his part. But I am sure that will not be the last we hear from Mr Wayne Shaw. Even before it all blew up, he was talking about his next gig and a potential football switch from Sutton to Arsenal. What would it take to prize you out of Sutton to Arsenal? I think two more than the four you've got there. <laughs> for six Cornish pasties, you will sign for Arsenal. Definitely. I'll be honest with you, mate. Given Arsene Wenger's willingness to dip his hand in his pocket for a transfer, I think six pasties is probably a bit steep. Maybe drop it to two pasties. Two pasties, a steak bake and a cheese and beans slice. Joking aside, I would put money on there being a fierce bidding war for the services of Wayne Shaw. The Pound Baker and Greg's The Bakery will both be willing to splash the cash to secure his advertising services over the coming weeks. So I'm sure we'll be fine. As for football, well, once again, it teaches us that life just is not fair. Eat a pie during a game, you lose your job. Steal millions of pounds from your employer, you spend 17 years as the boss of FIFA. Amazingly and unexpectedly, Arsenal managed to win that game and the FA Cup, resulting in wild celebrations from, well, everyone apart from Arsenal fans, as it dawned on them that Arsene Wenger, despite plain banners, fan protests, angry shouting, disappointing results and for the first time since Henry VIII's reign, a finish outside the top four, was going to be staying beyond the end of the season. And now it's time for Arsene and co and every other player and manager in the league to take a break and take stock. No international football competition this summer, but next summer we have got the World Cup to look forward to. Hurrah! The Festival of Football is coming to the bastion of all free-thinking multiculturalism that is Russia. And we're all going to be able to enjoy 24-hour news coverage as thugs from all over the world clash with the local ultras and throw garden chairs at each other. You know what? You might as well enjoy some of the football too because FIFA were hard at work this season making sure pretty soon the World Cup will be knackered forever. 
It's been a quite few months for Gianni Infitano. Since his appointment in May, he's not really done a massive amount as the new FIFA boss, apart from a much-needed crackdown on the horrendous and offensive wearing of poppies in remembrance of those who fought for freedom and liberty. The bastards. So it's great to see him finally making his mark by having a go at completely ballsing up the World Cup. Not satisfied with doing a very passable impression of a boiled egg, he has decided that currently the world's most prestigious tournament that sees the greatest footballing nations on the planet fight it out for the biggest accolade in world sport isn't quite right and would be much better if any old Charlie could come to the party instead. Yep, Gianni's big plan is to include a whopping 48 teams into the competition, meaning the likes of Burkina Faso, Uzbekistan and probably the Dog and Duck Five-a-Side team would qualify for the tournament with ease. As with all FIFA decisions, this is about the good of the game and in no way is it about sponsorship and TV deals with smaller world nations or Gianni helping to secure his own personal future in a very lucrative job by offering FIFA voting nations an easy route to the world World Cup finals and anyone else who's saying different is a damn liar or as they like to say in FIFA a damn blatter. I'm a man of principles. Speaking of the blatternator he's popped back into the news this week his six-year ban from football has been upheld so he needs something else to keep him busy and that something is mouthing off to the media. In an exclusive interview to the BBC, Blatter didn't seem happy at all about getting the boot from his old job and even claimed the new FIFA boss wouldn't return his phone calls. He stopped at my house and we drank a glass of red wine and then some salami. And then I have sent him a letter. I, have, uh, I had his personal number and I sent him emails and so on. Never, never an answer. Never. To me, it sounds like Sepp and Gianni just had a first date and now Blatter is much more into it than Infitano. They had some wine, they had some salami, one thing led to another and now Blatter is sitting at home watching reruns of Love Actually on DVD while Gianni is giving him the cold shoulder and not returning any of his calls. Poor old Sepp. We've all been there, mate. season is all wrapped up thank you for spending it with us if you like on the left side then please make sure you subscribe that way you get the next podcast straight into your ears and it's free too as it's telling your mates about the show if you love it then they are gonna love it too so get them signed up before next season we'll be keeping you up to date with a smaller shorter podcast right through the summer kind of like a Jermaine Defoe podcast compared to the usual Andy Carroll one 
smaller, more effective, and probably not nearly as frustrating. Plus, don't forget you can head to ontheleftside.co.uk and check out all the episodes from this season for even more football funny. Right, I'm off to... Oh my god! They found me! I don't know how, but they found me! Run for it, Martin! Who do you think? It's the Libyans! Holy shit! On the Left Side is written and produced by Ant McGinley and Jim Salverson for Abrupt Audio.